0: The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blastoff. X minus one.
1: Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time starring George Burns and Gracie Allen.
2: Richard Diamond, private detective.
1: The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly.
2: Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve.
3: I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United
1: States Marshal. (laughs) Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Episode 13 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour detective episodes of Philip Marlowe, starring Gerald Moore. We'll begin after this break. Raymond Chandler, creator of the celebrated Philip Marlowe novels, had originally wanted to approve the scripts for the radio adaptation of his creation. After the success of the Marlowe movies, Chandler knew the detective was a surefire winner. But in the end, he had very little involvement with the radio program. Van Heflin was the first actor to portray the cynical sleuth in a series that debuted in 1947, a scheduled summer replacement for Bob Hope's radio show. Marlowe returned to the airwaves in the fall of 1948, played by Gerald Moore. The Broadway actor's baritone voice was perfect for the fictional Los Angeles detective and Moore attempted to play him as a packed personality who would even rough up a street urchin to get information. Marlowe was a lone wolf who hired himself out to anyone seeking his services. Philip Carey played Marlowe in an ABC TV series, and Powers Booth portrayed the celebrated detective in a top-notch HBO series that ran from 1983 to 1986. Time now for the first of two episodes of Philip Marlowe, This first case involves a little man with big heels, a giant, and a treacherous blonde all out to kill Marlowe. Here's the final payment, starring Gerald Moore in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe.
1: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime
2: fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story The Final Payment.
4: Yes, sir. I'm
1: Philip Marlowe. Warden Riker said he'd see me at noon.
4: Oh, yes, Mr. Marlowe. The warden will be with you in just a minute. Excuse me, please. Sure. Warden's office, Sergeant Kennedy speaking. Who? Oh, the L.A. Tribune. Yeah, yeah. Scenario's execution? Okay, hold on. I got the dope here on my desk someplace. Excuse me, Mr. Marlowe. It'll be just a minute. It's all right. Press get hungry for the gory details about now. This is the third call this morning. Mm-hmm. Have a seat there. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah, yeah, here it is. Office of the Warden, State Penitentiary, 10 a.m., September 8, 1950. Subject, press release, paragraph one. William Arthur Sonero, 24, tried and convicted of the robbery-murder of Emile Negrato, Bakers Beach, California, last August 5, is scheduled to be executed in a manner prescribed by law at 11 o'clock post-meridian this state. At this time, no stay of execution is anticipated. Sign, Stanley M. Riker, Warden. That's it. Huh? No, you can't talk to the warden. That's why we go through all this press release junk. Yeah, well, we got our problems, too, you know. Goodbye. Whew. Sorry, Mr. Marlowe. <clears throat> now, uh, your appointment with the warden, what was it about again?
1: William Arthur Cenero, 24.
4: I'm a friend of his. Oh, Oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> I-, I forgot, mm-hmm. sir. Uh, well, I hope I haven't offended Mr. Marlowe. That is... Uh, <clears throat> I'll tell the warden you're here, sir.
1: I knew I didn't have too much right to be mad at one Sergeant Kennedy. But today it didn't matter. Because I was mad at the whole world, and in particular what it had done to a used-to-be-nice kid named Billy Cenaro when I stood in Warden Riker's far from drab prison office and waited while a dapper man in gleaming Hickok cufflinks and soft gray gabardine got through talking to his wife in syrup, sticky tones. I began to get mad at him, too. But that drained out of me fast because when he hung up, he scraped the goo off his voice quickly, shook hands like he meant it, and told Kennedy we weren't to be disturbed. When he spoke of Cenero, a lot of sympathy crawled in between the words, even when he came to the point.
5: It's a breach of regulations for a condemned man to have any visitor other than the prison chaplain on the day of his execution, Mr. Marlowe. So, first of all, just how well do you know, Senero? Well, he sold
1: papers on the corner near my office as a kid. We swapped gags twice a day. And when his father
5: died and he quit selling papers?
1: I never saw him again until a year ago when he got over-involved with some tin-horn gamblers. I managed to set him free.
5: As a private detective? As a
1: big brother went to work in a San Pedro boatyard after that. I haven't seen him since. And
5: then you have no idea why he's asked to talk to you today. No, I don't. Do you, Warden? Mr. Marlowe, do you recall the details in this case?
1: Well, yeah, more or less. Let's see, an old man named Emil Negrotto and his wife were robbed of 100,000 bucks worth of uninsured jewels at their summer
5: place at, um... Baker's Beach.
1: Yeah, that's it, yeah. And, uh, Emil Negrotto was killed when he tried to interfere. The scenario was tied back to it by a single fingerprint and later identified by Mrs. Negrotto, I... I believe she thought there were two more,
5: huh? Yes, but Sonero denied this. Uh-huh. Also, Mr. Marlowe, you may recall that the jewels were never recovered. Sonero mm. said they were lost at sea when the boat he fled and hit rough water on the way back to San Pedro. Now, Mr. Marlowe, do I begin to answer the question I just ignored? The jewels, I mean? Sonero may want to tell you that they weren't lost after all. He may want to tell you where they are. He may want you to do something about them.
1: Sort of last will and testament, is that it?
5: From his point of view, yes. And from mine? A very lucrative offer. Perhaps 50%, Mr. Marlowe. Why not 100%, Mr. Warden? Don't be a piker. I could always cross him up, you know.
1: Now, anything else? Or were you just letting me know why the
5: state is allowing this visit? I was just letting you know what the state knows, Mr. Marlowe. Uh-huh. I know a little more. I know that Billy Scenero is through as a criminal... In his heart. Not just because he's behind bars with worse to come. He's ready to die, Mr. Morrow. Almost anxious. Well, then why the session? Why all the statistics? Why the invitation for me to play informer? For two reasons. First, I may be wrong about the boy completely. Thus, his repentance is a fake. Which you don't believe. No. What's the other reason? Look, Marlowe, if, if anything goes wrong, you came in here as an informer. That's official. And unofficially? I want to give the boy a break. Sonero asked to get you because he wanted to talk to the only person in the world he thought he could trust. And right now, I think he has every right to just such a talk, whatever it's about. I only wanted to be sure he talked to the correct party, that's all. Sergeant Kennedy, to show you the way, Mr. Marlowe, to Sonero's cell.
1: I was a bit confused. Riker seemed anxious to help Sonero over some rough hours, and yet at the same time, he was shrewd. Eh, In no time, he'd work me around to where I'd be the fastest, most courteous informer on record if Sonero was a fake, I thought. But I thought otherwise when I was alone with Sonero, and knew that the Negrotto jewels did still exist.
6: Mr. Marlowe, why are you looking at me that way?
1: You understand what I'm asking, don't you see? Wait a minute, take it easy, Billy, a step at a time. Now, you say that the jewels never went overboard. No,
6: I never even saw them. That was a cock and bull story.
1: Uh And yet you want me to get them to get the jewels and return them to Mrs. Emil Negrotto. Is that right? Right.
6: To Mrs. Negrotto, the woman who identified me. The widow of the man I killed. Look, Mr. Mahler, sit down here on the cot and listen.
1: Okay. Now, where's the beginning, Billy?
6: Last August 5th. It was me and the other two, a big red-headed louse named Jesse Tapp and a girl named Gloria, Gloria Konkowski, a blonde with a little scar on the bridge of her nose. Mm-hmm. Jessie's girl, strictly flashy. We took my boat. It's a fishing smack, the love lady. We, we sailed from San Pedro over to Baker's Beach. I was the one who shot him, Mr. Mono. And the jewels? They were in the leather bag. Jesse had them. But after the shot, we split up fast and ran. I hid until the next morning, then shoved off in the love lady. I don't know about the others. I was picked up that afternoon. The rest you know. I'm not so
1: sure. At your trial, you swore that... Were... I was
6: alone and the jewels went overboard. Well, at first I thought that I might get off, so I had to clam up, but then I... Then everything changed. The verdict, huh? No. An old woman whose husband I'd killed.
1: Hmm. See what you mean. But you still didn't tell the authorities who the others were. No, and I
6: won't today. Both Jesse Tapp and that blonde can smell a cop a mile away. They'd only run and take the jewels with them. The law would louse it up. I want the jewels back to the little old lady. Hmm. I always liked you, Billy. I know how you work, Mr. Marlowe. I've got enough for you to start on. It only came yesterday. That's why this uh, this last-minute rush, you might say. Mr. Marlowe, I know where Jesse Tapp is. That also means Glory isn't far away. From where? San Pedro, down near the docks. Now, look. There's a tough old guy who runs a dry dock and repair lash up for small boats. Name of Jomo. I worked for him a year ago. I also left him the love lady. He spotted Tap, Had his eyes open for months for me. No questions asked. He was here to see me yesterday. He's out to find where Tap hangs out now. He's the one you see.
1: Yeah, but wait a minute. What makes you think Jesse Tap still has the jewel?
6: Because I saw him take him and run, and he's still hanging around San Pedro. Maybe he hit him where he can't get to him. Maybe he doesn't want to get to him until he's contacted the right fence. Anyway, Mr. Marlowe, it's a chance I'd like you to take for me. Of course, I. I can't talk about your fee. Look, kid, don't you think we ought to talk to the? Warden, Mr. Marlowe, think... I've done nothing but think. This is the only way it can possibly work. The only way it can help me and Mrs. Negrotto both. Well, will you try it? Yeah.
1: I guess so, Billy.
6: One last thing, Mr. Marlowe. If you make it by. Before eleven tonight get the word to me, will you? And if you don't make it, or it looks like you're not going to, don't lie. Okay? Okay.
4: Time's up, Mr. Marlowe.
6: Sorry, Sonero. It's all right, Kennedy, don't mention it. So long, Mr. Marlowe.
5: Goodbye, Billy. (laughs)
1: It took five minutes for me to walk back to the warden's office and five more to lie to him about what Cenero had wanted of me. And another ten to get outside and head toward my parked car. I was thinking about what the condemned man had told me when I suddenly realized I was in the middle of a busy street and right smack in the path of a speeding car. Hey, what's the matter with you? What is that? Hey, mister! Mister, you
7: all right? Holy You okay? Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. Much obliged. I'll try to remember to look where I'm going next time.
7: Yeah, these jerks figure every street's an Indianapolis speedway. Yeah. And another thing, that geezer didn't stop either. I know. But if you're interested, I, I got a squint on him before. I was in that corner drugstore after a Coke, and while I was waiting, I happened to see this guy stand outside his car, and all of a sudden he got now, in minute, it and took wait a minute. off. You mean
1: he got all that speed up just from the end of the street? Tell me, friend, what he look like?
7: He's uh, tiny. <laughs> tiny like your pinky finger. Uh-huh. And elevating shoes on. Plus the fact he needed a shave. Say, you don't think it was purposeful, do you? Uh, n- not an accident, I mean.
1: I don't know. But either way, I'm much obliged to you, friend. Bye-bye.
8: <laughs>
1: I made a mental note about the small man with big heels and a beard and let it go at that. And I took one last look at the prison. Made me want to drive the 300 miles to San Pedro fast. It was some hazy place between late twilight and early evening fog when I located Jomo in his water's edge dry dock and repair shop and told him who I was.
3: I was fond of that scenario, lad Marlow. I'm glad I can help him some way. That boat here was his, you know, the love lady. Mm-hmm. Putting her back in the water tonight. Eh. Uh, Love, lady. It might be what he needed to keep him out of trouble, if that... It's
1: hard to say, Jomo. Mm. But look, I don't have much time. Do you know where I can get next to this uh, Jesse Tapp?
3: Uh, I followed him just this morning from a bar on 3rd Street. He's Uh hiding out in a warehouse on Lookout Hill Road. It's shut down now. It won't open up again until...
1: Hold it, Jomo. That noise, that came from out here.
3: There's someone there, Mr. Marlowe?
1: No. No, not anymore, there isn't.
3: And There probably wasn't. I got me a clumsy little cat, Milo, always falling over Jomo, myself. you
1: said Lookout Hill Road, right? Aye,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. This is only a block long, the highest point in town. Mm. You just head straight up King Street to the top. You can't miss the warehouse.
1: Thanks. Uh, Jomo. Huh? You have no idea what this is all about, huh?
3: Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, Marlo. But you see, I don't let myself think of some things too much. I keep my mind on boats more than people. Easier to understand. <laughs> Easier to repair, too. Good luck, Marlo.
1: I was less than ten minutes finding the deserted warehouse which ran true to form. Rust and every other window broken. But when I was out of my car and moving around toward a side entrance, I saw something else. It was a girl, tall and blonde, standing in the deep shadow of a fit shampoo billboard. When I started for her, she threw one scared look my way, then scrambled into her pocket for a key. I made it just as she got it out and into the door lock. Let's not be hasty, honey. Get your dirty mitts off. When you stop kicking, I will. Not before, sweetheart. Uh, Not before, Gloria.
9: How do you know the name, Bright
1: Eyes? Oh, that cute little scar on the bridge of your nose. You should have ducked, kid. Not that it doesn't add character.
9: I'll go soak your head. I don't know you.
1: You should. Jesse does.
9: Jesse? why, you, anyway?
1: Name's Marlowe. Here to see your boyfriend, tap her schedule. It's a business appointment, Gloria.
9: Business? Oh, oh, yeah, sure. Fence, huh?
1: Yeah, fence, huh? Now, do we go up or throw pebbles at the windows until Jesse comes out? Which?
9: We go up, now that I know who you are. You know, Jesse didn't mention you're coming.
1: That's what I like about working with Jesse. Uh, which way?
9: Up these stairs. Kind of nice setup we got here, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. Sweet of the owners to let you have a key.
9: Well, it wasn't exactly that way. Jesse had. Change
1: to... the lock, yeah. Uh, is that the door? One mark president?
9: Uh huh. Mr. Tapp's very own. <laughs> Imagine Jesse is an executive. Funny, huh? Yeah? Hey, Mr. head of the firm, you got callers. Jesse! Oh, that jerk's probably asleep. <laughs> That's the way I figured, asleep in the swivel chair. Hey, Mr. president, you got company. Hey, Jesse, come on. Wake up. There's a guy here who wants... Jesse. What is it, Mona? What's wrong with him?
1: Too much to fix, honey. Head of the firm, Jesse, has been shot to death. No business as usual today.
9: Dead. How do you like that?
1: Not much. Maybe it's you I do business with, huh?
9: What are you talking about?
1: Now, look, I never like to get into money matters with dames, but now I'm stuck. So let's get to work, you and me. Where are they, Gloria?
9: Where are what?
1: Come on, you coy little jerk. The stones, and the grotto stones. I want to see them.
9: I don't know where they are. He wouldn't ever tell me. I ah,
1: don't lie. You were his girl. Hey,
9: listen, mister. Ever since I met that guy, I've been living on double-talking slaps in the mouth. I spent my nights <clears> dodging my own shadow. I'm glad it's over. Well, why would you stick? Because of them stones. I knew I had them hid someplace. Figured maybe they'd get us away from here after all. He kept saying he had to wait till the time was right. That's all he'd ever say. Even to me, his girl.
1: You know, with that talent, you ought to be in pictures, kid. Yeah?
9: Believe me, mister. I learned the hard way not to try to pin Jesse Tapp down. You do whatever you want, I'm getting out of here. Before the act. Just a minute. What?
1: Somebody did this, baby.
9: I can name 20 who'd been tickled pink. Yeah,
1: but I took a lot of chances setting up this deal to move those Negrotto jewels. I wouldn't want to be edged out now by cheap competition like a squirt and build up heels. What's that? Nothing. A swing in the dog, Excuse me.
9: Sure. Now you excuse me. He's strictly your problem, sucker.
1: I stood and watched her as she walked away. I didn't know just what my next move should be, but then it hit me. Whoever had killed Jesse Tapp would go for her next. So when she hailed a cab at the foot of the hill, I ran to my car and I started after her. But by the time I got turned around, a switch engine playing shuffleboard with a string of boxcars cut in between us. When that was over, Gloria was gone. I spent the next hour and a half raking the neon lighted muck along the docks looking for her with no success. Until finally, in a rancid backwash called the Reef, I got a break, but from another direction. The same unshaven little man with high heels who tried earlier to run me down was at the bar blinking back the sting of a straight shot. I watched while he picked up a handful of small change from the bartender, and when he pranced toward a phone in the hallway at the rear, I followed him. It was too good to be a coincidence. Yeah, he had that's to right, in.
7: operator. San Diego. Yeah, Christine Fuller, right. How much? Okay. Hello? Hello, Christine? Hiya, baby. This is Fritz. Hey, listen, honey, I got it all set up. Yeah, I'm going right now, right away, yeah. It's dark now and everything's ready. I said everything, didn't I? I'll have them in an hour and be out of here. Hmm? Well, just be a good girl till I get there, understand? Yeah, I'll see you before morning. Oh, your little Fritz wouldn't let you down, you know that. Goodbye, baby. Hello, little Fritz. You come back here! Hey, what is this? Who who are you?
1: Guy you tried to run over this afternoon? Hey,
7: now listen, Slim, there must be some mistake here. There is, and
1: you just made it when you knocked off Jesse Tapp. And now that I got you, little Fritz, I'm going to shake you up and down until a lot of answers or a lot of teeth start dropping out of you. No,
7: no.
1: Make up your mind. What's it going to be? Come on!
7: No, 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 leave me alone. Stop.
1: Run along, Buster, it's private. Oh,
7: yeah? Yeah. Right big
3: luck like you picking on a little guy like him, it will be a shame. Hey, don't
1: you believe in the brotherhood of man? Yeah, but this weasel don't qualify enough, yeah, He jumped me,
3: fellas, he was going to rob me. Oh, he was, was he? Put him down, you. Hey, come on, hey. come on, turn loose of big
1: bully. Okay, Why don't you,
3: you, jerk! Uh, you
8: jerk! Come on, get up! Get, get up, him, Joe! Come on, him, Hit him over the head! him fight!
3: Him again, Joe!
8: Come on, get up!
3: Oh, nuts. He's all cold. Let's throw him out in the alley. Eh? Come on. Good
6: idea.
8: Hey,
6: where'd the little guy go? Hey,
3: he baited. Oh, well, you'd think he'd stick around long enough to buy us a drink, wouldn't you?
5: Judging
1: from the way my face felt, the two long showmen must have... Oh, had barnacles on their fists. In the five minutes it took me to climb back on my feet, I thought some very unpleasant things about the brotherhood of man, both fore and aft. But I dropped them when I remembered the time was running out fast for my client, and I still hadn't got beyond the loose ends I'd started with. taps girlfriend, Gloria, and little Fritz. (laughs) It was a hunch that took me up the hill of the old retired warehouse again. I parked a block away and started toward it on foot when the glow from a lonely cigarette said that it wasn't quite as deserted as it should have been. The cigarette belonged to a woman who was someplace under a lot of makeup. Oh,
10: interesting evening. You're asking me or telling me? Well, either it is, it has been, or it could be. Take your pick. You look like a bright boy. (laughs) Hey, hey, you look like you fell into a meat grinder.
1: No, no, just a philosophical discussion.
10: Oh. Nice view from here.
1: Not too bad.
10: girl like me needs a view once in a while. Keeps the past from crowding the future. You can see the whole waterfront from here without smelling it. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's great, huh? Now, look, you haven't seen anybody hanging around here in the last few minutes, have you?
10: You kidding? Nobody hangs around this old dump. First time I've been up here in a month. Nobody's hung around here since, since old Tom died. Used to be the night watchman, and it was a lot of last for you, old Tom. He had that upstairs room, that one, that one up there, mm-hmm. and he's the time I have been... Hey, hey, that's queer. That's real queer. Look. What? Hey.
1: Oh, a telescope. On it on the windowsill.
10: Yeah, old Tom never had a thing like that up there. Who do you suppose put it there?
1: I know who, honey. My question is why? A telescope.
10: Well, it seems to be pointed down there toward the small boat anchorage.
1: Yeah. Where a certain boat was in for paint and repairs. Tap could watch every step from here, and when the job was done. Holy smoke, it could be. Thanks, baby. You've been a big help.
10: Sure. All things to all men. Have fun, Sonny.
1: the client's boat was a long shot, but it was the only bet I had. And it stayed a long shot all the way down to Jomo's dock. There the odds began to drop fast to even money when I heard the motor running and found the door to Jomo's boathouse half open. It became odds on when I eased inside and stumbled over Jomo himself, stretched out unconscious on greasy planks like a beached bull whale. I stepped over him, got my thirty-eight in hand, and edged out along the catwalk to the open dock where the boat scraped restlessly against the fenders. There were no lights except for a tiny spot, no bigger than the hole-in-the-candy lifesaver that probed frantically along the seams inside the cabin. It was little Fritz with a shielded flashlight, intent on finding something fast. I stepped into the boat, deliberately kicked over an oil can and crouched. The light went out.
7: Oh, Who? Who's there? Somebody out there? Well, speak up.
1: Throw your gun over the side and stand real still. Do it now, little man,
7: or I'll blow you in two. Hold on, wait. Yeah. Uh, who, who are you?
1: It's me, Fritzy Marlowe. So Tap hid the stones right here on Bill Cineiro's
7: boat, huh? Yeah, 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 that's right. They're still here. Fortune. Hey, look, fella, if we play it smart, there's plenty up. for boat.
1: I want a few things straight first. Correct me if I'm wrong. Tap hid the jewels aboard here after the robbery without Cineiro's knowledge. But after Cineiro was caught, he gave the boat to Jomo, who kept it locked up inside there. Which meant that Tap had to wait until Jomo had finished his repairs before he could get back the stones again, huh?
7: Yeah, that's right. They were too hot to handle anyway. They had to be hid someplace. They were safe here, so why stir up another fuss? Uh, what else you want to know?
1: Are you going to explain to your little sugar in San Diego that Christine Fully you cooed to tonight when you don't show up for a few years? Mala, we
7: can do business.
1: And another I... thing, how'd you get into this act in the first place?
7: <laughs> I got ways, like a couple of friends on the inside.
1: Oh, that figures. One of them must be on the inside of the state pen. That's how come you hooked on to me so fast with that car. Who is
7: it? A guard named Kennedy. He's a pig, a cut-rate chump. And the other friend?
9: He's behind you with a gun. I...
7: The oh, wolf. fine. Oh, that's my baby. I'll take your gun now, Mr. Marlowe. Oh!
9: Stop <clears throat> it. Put it away, Fred. <clears throat> Did
7: you find the stones? They're not yet, but it won't be long now, sugar.
9: Marlowe, get in that cabin and run this boat. We're going out. Go on, move. Oh no, wait a minute, baby. We don't know anything about boats. We're not taking any more chances here. Untie that rope at the back, Fritz.
1: That's called cast off the stern line. Shut
9: up! Mm. Get inside, Marla. Go on.
1: Sure, sure. Well, skipper, where to?
7: Just head for that open part out there. Hey, it's gonna be rough. Oh, that warm out at husk, baby. We've been through plenty together,
1: huh? Yeah, like putting Jesse Tapp out of the way for a starter.
7: Sure, well, he asked for it. He was a pushover for Gloria here. Why, oh, you... So s- it was little Gloria who killed him, eh?
9: All right, so it was me. Fritz called me up and warned me you were coming here to Pedro, and I overheard you when you talked to Jomo. I knew you'd get to Jesse and make him spill, so I killed him. It's gonna have to
7: be done sooner or later anyway.
9: The
1: old double cross. Yeah,
7: the old double cross. So what? Uh, that's a game the smart ones always play with the suckers always win.
9: Not always, Fritz.
7: Oh, often enough to make a... What? Hey, hey, Glory. Hey, Glory,
9: what? No, 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 don't. Gloria, no, no. Keep your hands on that wheel, Marlowe. I heard Marlow's crack about that Christine Fuller, Fritz. You louse. Straight ahead, Marlowe.
1: Now what, baby? Still got me to worry about.
9: And that's too bad. You're a nice guy. Where are we?
1: Well, the channel's way over there where that buoy is. And that means that a big rock pile called the breakwater is right off our starboard bow. If I don't turn, we'll hit it, and I'm not That's turning. Marlowe!
5: Feeling better now, Mr. Marlowe?
1: Yeah, thanks, Lieutenant. The water was awful cold.
5: You said it. Have another cup of Coast Guard mud. Do you good.
1: Oh, thanks. Look, I was wondering if,
5: if... If we located the girl you told us about? Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't as lucky as you were. However, your boat hung up on the rocks. The boys found all that jewelry in the cabin. In this leather bag here. Well, we'll be in in a couple of minutes. Good.
1: I'll just have time to call a young guy and tell him he can close out his books. They balance now. He's... Paid up in full. When I got through to Warden Riker, told him all that had happened, and gave him the message for Billy Scenero, he thanked me and said, the kid was facing 11 o'clock like someone who... who had the weight of the world lifted off his back. A back that should have been part of a football team. A back that should be tanned from the sun at the beach. A back whose arms should be around a lovely girl. A back knelt in prayer for a better world. A back... Strapped to the electric chair.
2: The adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Wally Mayer, Bill Johnstone, David Ellis, Tom Holland, Larry Dobkin, Doris Singleton, Lou Krugman, and Michael Ann Barrett. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. <laughs>
1: Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I found a corpse in a flower shop. A gypsy who read her own fortune in dollar signs in a death struggle 20 feet from a crowded merry-go-round. All because a man forgot one white carnation.
8: Grand
2: Central Station, the very name itself creates a tingle of excitement. Grand Central Station, that busy, gigantic railroad terminal where every day hundreds of vital human dramas occur. It is these human dramas you hear every Saturday over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And this is CBS, where you also enjoy Junior Miss every Saturday in the daytime on the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: And that's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe starring Gerald Moore in The Final Payment from September 15, 1950. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our classic radio club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 Classic Radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another detective episode of Philip Marlowe for you after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. On this episode of Philip Marlowe, a client lies to Marlowe, so he refuses to represent her. When she ends up dead, Marlowe vows to find her killer. Here's the fifth mask on The Adventures of Philip Marlowe.
1: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the
2: pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Fifth Mask.
11: Brother, am I glad to see you. You are Philip Marlowe. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm Marlowe.
11: Well, come on in. You're, uh, not exactly what I expected, Phil. No? Mm Mm-mm. I didn't realize private detectives came in the deluxe edition. You'd like a drink, wouldn't you?
1: And Now, look, when you called me a few minutes ago, it was strictly panic because your life was in danger, Miss Barr. Now you... Vivian
11: will do, Phil.
1: Yeah, well, okay, Vivian. What's happened in the meantime?
11: Happened? Nothing. Why?
1: Well, you seem pretty well balanced for somebody on the edge of being a homicide statistic.
11: I'm doing my best to hang on to myself, that's all. Oh. But now that you're here, I can breathe again. You just sit down, won't you, over there? I'll fix the drinks. Uh We're going to get along fine, Phil, I can tell.
1: Yeah, well, could be.
11: There. Now we can be more comfortable. Your health, Phil.
1: Your health is supposed to be the point, baby. You said a man threatened your life.
11: Yes, a man named Fred Sears. A character I used to know. He was hurt in a hotel fire six months ago. Oh. Must have been his head. He thinks he wants to kill me, and he's come to town to do it. But now that you're here... I, uh,
1: I suppose he's got reasons, huh?
11: Do they matter?
1: Yeah, yeah. To me, at least. I'd like to know which end of the stick is short before I grab.
11: Well, I'm not even sure myself. I only knew Sears briefly. Here. Here's his picture, Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Oh, the whole affair was stupid.
1: So you brought it to me instead of the police, huh?
11: I brought it to you because I need private help, and I'm willing to pay for it. Pay very well, I might add. Oh, look, Phil, you don't have to bother about the reasons why. Just see that Fred Sears leaves me alone tonight. It shouldn't be hard. Is your drink all right?
1: Delicious. Too bad I can't stay and finish it.
11: What? Oh, Marlo, wait. You mean you won't help me?
1: Not on guesswork, baby.
11: But don't you realize my life's in danger? I'm scared.
1: Oh, sure, sure. Speechless. (laughs) You can get yourself another boy, Vivian. Woods are full of guys with no curiosity at all.
11: Oh, Marlo, please be reasonable.
1: Good night, baby. I had no doubt that a guy named Fred Sears wanted to kill Vivian Barr And that she was genuinely afraid of him But I also had no doubt that working for her without all the facts Was like playing blind man's buff with the front end of a jet plane Sooner or later you were a cinch to get sucked in So I drove off the hill toward the Sunset Strip again And prepared to forget it and go home until my rearview mirror told me that I'd picked up a tail. I wagged it back and forth across Hollywood for 20 minutes without losing it. Then I stopped at a quiet corner bar in my neighborhood, went in the front door and straight on through to the alley and then around to the front again. I got back in time to see the man who'd been following me get out of his car and head for the door. It was one Mutt Pomeroy, a sleazy ex-comrade in arms who had his private license revoked for assorted malpractices a year ago. I waited till he was almost up to the entrance before I stepped out where he could see me.
12: I... Oh, well, Phil Marlowe. <laughs> what do you say, kid? How, how's business? I keep smiling. Sure, sure you would. Uh, buy a drink, I don't suppose. What's on uh, your crummy little mind? Might let's it have easy, it. easy. Marlowe, take the hands off. <laughs> oh, the right. idea. You
1: have been tailing me just to keep in practice. What do you want?
12: Okay, okay, Sean. I figured maybe you'd appreciate a little cooperation. For instance, you tell me why Vivian Barr wants a private paper, and I'll tell you something more than worth your while. Well?
1: I thought your license was dead, Pomeroy.
12: Yeah, it is, but I'm not. I still got eyes and ears and a mouth that I like to keep well fed. Now, look, I can help you plenty in this case, Marlowe. What do you say, kid? Get together? I didn't take the case. You what? That's right.
1: If I catch you tailing me once more mud, I'll tie a can to you. Now beat it. Yeah, well, let me
12: know when you need a hand, Marlo. Right across your kisser.
1: Ah. Be it ever so humble. So. Hello, Marlowe speaking. Oh,
11: Phil, I've been calling ever since you left. This is Vivian Barrett. Now, look, baby, I oh, told Marlo, you... Oh, listen you ma- to me. I've got to have your help. I'll tell you the truth, all of it. Anything you want to know, only come back, please. Oh,
1: will you listen? I'm trying uh, to tell I've you. I've seen
11: someone outside here, Marlowe. I'm almost sure it's Fred Sears. Hurry, will you? I'll tell you everything. Hurry.
1: Three things I can never resist. Beer with a head on it, moonlight, and a beautiful day. So I headed again for the parking terrace at Vivian's apartment house and made it in about 15 minutes. I was out of my car and halfway across the terrace before I noticed the changes. First, her apartment was dark. Second, a man who had just pulled a key from a front door lock froze when he saw me and then turned and bolted through a clump of hibiscus and cornered himself in an enclosed patio. He tried to make it over the wall, but the second time he fell back, I nailed
12: it! No, no,
1: please, let me go. I gotta get away from here. You're trying it the hard way, Buster, believe me. No, it'll be easier by way of Vivian's apartment first. Come on, on your feet. Uh, no who are you? I'm Douglas Peck. Douglas what? Just Douglas. Okay, just Douglas. We'll also straighten that one out inside. Go on, open the door. No, I... It's locked. Sure, sure, it's locked. Take the keys out of your pocket and unlock it. Hurry up. Who are you? Name's Marlowe. Go on inside. No, no, please, Marlowe. Listen, I... I can't go in there again. What's the matter? Afraid of the dark? Go on! Turn on a light. All right, then, all right. There. Vivian Barr's eyes were still open. But all the life had gone out of them, she'd slid half off the blue velvet divan onto the floor and a gleaming gold satin she wore was stained red by a dark, stiffening smear on her chest. Her purse was open on the coffee table and spilled out of it was a note addressed Dear Vivian and signed Fred Sears. What is it, Marlowe? What are you looking at? One good reason why Vivian Barr ended up like that? Here, read it. Dear Vivian, the broken back you handed me six months ago wasn't as hard to take as the broken promises. Count on seeing me real soon. Fred Sears. Yeah. Now, Douglas, the digress, assuming you didn't kill her, and it was this Sears, what was your connection? I've I was just a friend of hers. Business associate. Well heeled business associate, judging by your wardrobe. She mentioned your type, but not your name. Let's get on with that, shall we? Milo, listen, I I had no idea that Vivian was mixed up in it. Milo, look. Huh? There at the window, it's Sears. Kill the light. Keep down, Douglas. I'll be right back. (laughs) Sears ducked as I ran for the door, and when I got outside, he was rounding the corner and heading for the enclosed patio. He was up on the wall by the time I got close enough to grab for him. No, you don't. Why? His foot caught me in the side of the head. I wound up on my back with nothing but the torn-off pocket from his jacket in my hand and a crumpled pack of cigarettes and a slip of paper on the ground with a phone number. I picked it up and started back to Vivian's apartment in time to hear a car door slam and see Just Douglas, scared stiff, crouched behind the steering wheel of a step-down Hudson. A second later, car and all were gone in a funnel of dust. Well, I couldn't lose much more, so I went back into the house to use the phone.
11: Los Angeles Morning Star. Society editor, please. One moment. Okay. Society desk, Miss Ludlow speaking. Hiya, Corey. Phil Marlowe. Phil, darling, how are you? (laughs) Gee, it's been a long time, mister. I haven't seen you
1: since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, look, honey, I need some fast help.
11: Crashing somebody's party, Marlowe. Could
1: be, but it's strictly business. Now, can you give me a rundown on a phone number? Crestview, 54124.
11: 54124. Yeah. Just a minute, lover. Okay, sweetie. Oh, yeah, Phil. That's the old J.G. McKay mansion. 910 Mission Drive. Uh His niece, Celia McKay, has the place now. She married up with a guy named Paxton last fall, I think. She has oodles of money. Any help? I'll let
1: you know. Thanks a lot, baby. Before I left, I called Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide and told him what happened. He said he'd put out a call for Fred Sears and suggested I keep in touch. After that, I drove to Beverly Hills. The McKay mansion at 910 Mission Drive dominated the rows of bowing trees that lined the long, curving driveway like a dowager queen presiding at court. When I rang the bell beside a carved mahogany front door big enough for an airplane hangar, it was the butler who finally opened it for me. It was all he could manage. Yes, sir. My name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. like to see the head of the house, please. Uh, have you an appointment, sir? No, this is a courtesy call so far. There's been a murder, buster. Now, please get Mr. Paxton, Celia McKay, Paxton, or any reasonable facsimile thereof, huh? Never mind,
13: Cartwright. You can run along. I'll take care of this, whatever it is.
1: She was uh, friendly, red-headed and hefty, but wore a dress so well-draped it would have made a Notre Dame tackle look good. It was all held together at the neckline by a big, dazzling brooch made up of items on a Mardi Gras motif and each covered with enough jewels to retire a family of five. Except for a space in the center, shaped like a mask, which was dull, black, and empty. I must have been staring, because that's where she picked up the conversation.
13: If you've finished making your estimate now, Mr. Marlowe, maybe we can get down to business. I'm that reasonable facsimile you mentioned, Mona Paxton, Celia's sister-in-law.
1: Oh? And Mr. Paxton's your brother,
13: huh? Same thing.
1: Yeah, well...
13: You said something about a murder, I believe?
1: Mm, that's right. A woman named Vivian Barr.
13: And is that supposed to mean something to the members of this household? Maybe we'd better ask them. I don't think so, Mr. Marlowe. We're all quite busy here. Now look, just now. Mona, I'm... I
1: followed a lead that started at the body of a dead woman, ended here at this house. You people can talk to me now or the police. In a few minutes. Make up your mind police? fast.
13: What about the police? Mona, what is this? See, my dear, I'm sorry. I'd hoped you wouldn't be bothered by the By Mr. Marlowe here. In his opinion, we're all murderers or something. I see. And why do you say that, Mr. Marlowe?
1: I don't. It isn't quite that bad.
14: Then specifically, how bad is it if you don't mind?
1: I don't mind at all. I'm looking for a man named Fred Sears in connection with the killing of my client, Vivian Barr. I'm here because there's a definite tie with somebody in this house. Now, at this point, I'm still asking for cooperation.
14: This has gone far enough. as preposterous. Mr. Marlowe, until you mention their names, I never heard of either of those people. Mona? No. They're still my husband, Mr. Marlowe. Dear, will you come out to the door, please? What's going on? What's the matter? There's a person here I want you to meet. Mr. Marlowe, my husband, Mr. Paxton.
1: Why, how how do you do, Mr. Marlowe? I'm doing better, Mr. Paxton. Oh.
14: Douglas, Mr. Marlowe here wants to know if the names Vivian Barr or Fred Sears mean anything to you. Why,
1: I, I don't think so. No,
14: no, they don't. Why? You may leave now, Mr. Marlowe. We've given you all the cooperation we can. If you come back, you'd better have a warrant with
1: you. Okay, Celia, I will. Because one of you three is a liar. And I can prove it. But if you want to talk it over before I call in the cops, I'll listen for a while. Hey, Cartwright. Yes,
3: sir? You called, sir? Yeah,
1: you look like a fairly honest man. Where can I get a good cup of public coffee around here?
3: Uh, why, there's a little shop two blocks down, sir.
1: Thanks. And to you, Cartwright, Good night. <laughs>
2: just a moment we'll return to the second act of philip marlowe but first sunday september 10th note it well or you'll miss a whole lot of laughs For that's the day jack benny checks in again at cbs the stars address yes this sunday is the day jack mary dennis phil don and rochester return for another great season of top-ranking comedy be sure you're on hand this sunday and every sunday when cbs brings you the one and only jack benny show now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, The Fifth Mask.
1: When the two-ton front door of the Paxton home closed behind me, I dropped the cocky attitude quicker than a chorus girl lets a stage smile go and she hits the wings. I knew that I was still a long way from finding Fred Sears. And ten minutes later, when I was in a corner booth at the plush Beverly Hills version of a one-armed joint, Cartwright had suggested I began to worry about it. Until the front door swung open and admitted Mrs. Celia McKay Paxton. She threw a stern eye in a sharp semicircle that nearly sliced the place in two and then bore down on me.
14: Mr. Marlowe, I want to talk to you. What do you mean by... Why don't by... you sit down,
1: Mrs. Paxton?
14: Well, I... Very well. Now, Mr. Marlowe... Coffee, Mrs. Paxton? No, no, thank you. Mm. Mr. Marlowe, specifically, what did you mean when you said that one of the three of us was lying?
1: Specifically that, Mrs. Paxton. I don't think I could have been more blunt, but I'll try. I'm after Fred Sears and anybody or anything that can lead me to him. Now you, why are you here, Mrs. Paxton?
14: Well, it's, uh, Mr. Marlowe, it,
1: it, uh... Hard to say, maybe? Hard like I'm suspicious of my husband's connection with all this, Mr. Private Detective. Will you go to work for me? Is that it?
14: No. No, not that. Mm -hmm. But, Mr. Marlowe, I'm no fool. I know that I'm a plain-looking rich woman who loves her husband. And I... (laughs) Well, sometimes men are silly. And if there is anything, I'd...
1: Mrs. Paxton, I can't go to work for you. I don't take that kind of a job. Besides, I'm already working on your problem insofar as it concerns the late Vivian Barr.
14: I don't understand that. You say you're looking for a Fred Sears.
1: But not overlooking anything else, Mrs. Paxton. Like the outside chance that Sears didn't kill Vivian Barr. I didn't see it happen, you know. It could have been somebody else. Who? You.
14: What? After
1: all, you just implied a good motive.
14: No. No, I I didn't. I, I only gave you a suspicion. A dark, ugly thought I'm ashamed I ever had. That's all. And I didn't kill that woman, Mr. Marlowe. I know
1: you didn't. It was only bait, Mrs. Paxton. I hoped you'd snap at it and come back with an answer that would get me to Sears.
14: Mr. Marlowe, I never heard of these people before tonight.
1: I know, that's what you said. But you see, Mrs. Paxton, even as you, I too sometimes have dark, ugly thoughts that I'm ashamed of. Only in my case, it's business. And tonight, the business is Vivian Barr's murder. Good night, Mrs. Paxton. (laughs) Oh, Comfortable, Mr. Paxton? Marlowe, please. My wife may see us. Get in and drive away. Hurry. All right. Just for size, hurry it is. Now, Marlowe, tell me. Does you Celia know? About that... Vivian? Hard to say, Paxton. Look, I've got to tell you the truth. Don't bother, man. About town, it sticks out like a sore thumb on a hitchhiker.
5: You like it easy,
1: you like it smooth. Your wife was one, Vivian the other. It's not a new story,
5: Paxton. But believe me,
1: Marlowe, I couldn't help myself. And I've learned my lesson. Marlowe, would money, say... Fifty dollars now and more later. Would that help you forget what you know? Fifty bucks? Well? <laughs> you didn't love Vivian, boy. You hated it, didn't you? I hated... How did you know that? That cheap bribe you just made. Indiscreet gentlemen with their backs against the wall do off offer peanuts now and more later unless they're broke. You could be broke, Paxton. If, for example, Vivian was blackmailing you out of every cent of your allowance, good enough? She was rotten. Rotten enough to kill? Kill? Are you crazy? My lord was Sears. Maybe... I didn't see him do it. You had a good reason. He had a better one. Sears was taken in just like I was. When he met Vivian, he had a few thousand dollars, and she fell in love with every one of them. You said a better reason, Paxton. And I'm getting to it. I came into Vivian's life after Sears was hurt saving her in that hotel fire. Saving her? Yes. I didn't know that. I thought he was hurt, period. Yes, that's all the papers got, but he was injured because he rushed into the fire to save Vivian. She couldn't afford to have it known that she was at that particular hotel at that particular time. She told me so herself. You didn't quit even then, huh? I couldn't, Marlowe. I wasn't strong enough. And then later, when I was, she wouldn't let me. Not without paying. And that's the whole story, Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Unless you're still holding back a lead on Sears. But why should I? Because if you're it, Paxton, not Sears, you have nothing left but the slim hope that Sears, who knows he's framed, will be shot running away from the police. No, you're wrong, Marlo. That's not it. All right, then try this. If I am wrong and Sears is still the one we want, he could also be after you, Paxton. You know, you're a pivot man in that triangle, too. What? Why, I never thought of that. What am I going to do? Grab a cab and go home and hide in a cookie jar. Marlow, don't be facetious. My life Relatively is... safe, Paxton. I was only trying to trick you into spilling something on Sears. Oh. Then you no longer think that I killed Vivian? I didn't say that. So long, Paxton. My apartment was only a few minutes from Beverly Hills, so I decided to call the police and fill them in. Also, a little all-alone straight drinking might burn the bad taste out of my mouth. But when I was in the hall there, I knew it was going to be a little while before I got a chance to do either one. After all, there was still a Paxton to go. Mona, the lady with the beautiful Mardi Gras brooch, and the not-so-beautiful mind for business.
13: I've been waiting for you, Mr. Marlowe.
1: That figures. Come on in. I'll get the lights.
13: You don't seem surprised you expected me.
1: Yeah, as much as the others. Already huddled with your brother and your sister-in-law. Have a seat.
13: No, thanks. Mr. Marlowe, I'm going to come right to the point. That's
1: a switch. Want a drink?
13: No. Do you want a thousand dollars? Mr. Marlowe, I said... I we... heard
1: you. Yeah. Also, Miss Paxton, I've heard a lot tonight about all I can take. I'll make it fast, will you?
13: All right. The thousand is yours, Mr. Marlowe, if you'll do one thing. When you catch up with this Sears, if you haven't already done so... I haven't. Keep my brother's name out of this, that's all.
1: No, well, it's a little too much. Also, you're a little easy, Mona. Your brother isn't worth covering up for.
13: That's not news, and it's beside the point. The thousand is to help me, not him. I've spent five very difficult years getting the rights to a cosmetic formula that can't be beat. The
1: point, Mona, the point. All
13: right, the point, Mr. Marlowe, is that all I need now is backing. Just yesterday, I got the promise of it. $150,000 worth of promise from my sister-in-law, Mrs. Celia McKay Paxton. And I'll lose that promise, Marlowe, Celia gives my brother his walking papers, and she will if she finds him out. Will you take the money, Marlowe?
1: No. No, will I go out of my way to whisper in Celia's ear. You're practically safe, Mona.
13: Practic? Who else is there?
1: Sears. If the police take him alive, there's a good chance to make a lot of embarrassing statements about your brother killing his girl. And-
13: you expect someone?
1: No. Oh unless the police are tired of waiting to hear from me. I shouldn't be
13: seen here, not if you're going to keep Doug's name out Easy, of this. Easy,
1: honey, get in there, the kitchen.
13: Oh, yes,
12: thanks,
1: Marlo, thanks a lot.
12: Okay, coming.
1: Keep your shirt on, I...
12: Oh, no. Yeah, well, didn't expect to see little old Mutt Pomeroy so soon again, eh, kid? Mind if I come in? Very much. What do you want, Pomeroy? To show my wares, Phil boy. You know, like the jewel tea man Skip the funnies. What is it? Fred Sears. I know where he is. You sure about that? Sure like I don't take $3 bills. I followed him tonight when he got away from you.
1: All right, come in.
12: Hey, nice place, Phil. What's
1: your price, Mutt? 200. I'll pay one, the address. The money. Okay, here. 15, 16, 80, 90, 90, 100.
12: Yeah. Thanks, Phil boy, thanks. The address says 31 Bayfront Drive, Santa Monica. It's an all-alone beach joint, kind of neat. Belongs to a friend of Sears who's out of town. Oh, he's using his car, too. I overheard him explaining to a neighbor. Yeah. good night, Marlo. See you around, huh, kid? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Pomeroy. Yeah? Yeah. What is it,
1: Phil? Two questions. Uh-huh. First? Your connection with all this, what is it?
12: Oh, a hunch that I could pick up a little extra. You see, I spotted Pex and I with that Vivian babe once, and, well, I knew who he was. So also, I knew who his wife was, so I figured... Yeah, I know how you figured. Okay, but you said two questions, kid. The other.
1: This. <laughs> Whatever made you think I do business with a louse like you.
13: Marlowe, he's unconscious? Yeah.
1: you ever saw you here, your mailbox will you get nothing but extortion notes for the next six months. We'll so get out now.
13: All right, Marlo, but won't he ruin everything anyway? Don't
1: worry, Mona. I'll convince him one way or another. Yeah. Let's see now. Hey
12: you cross
1: me? Sure, I'll do it every time, Pomeroy. We're conflicting personalities.
12: Police headquarters.
1: Like to speak to Detective Lieutenant Matt. Holy cow. Hello? Police headquarters? Hello? Police... Never oh, ha- mind. Pomeroy, that little hunk of jewelry there on the rug just fell out of your pocket when I frisked you, didn't it? Didn't it?
12: Yeah. Yeah, sure it did. So what?
1: So before I beat your senseless, let's get so up it, and tell man. me where you got it. Come on, where'd you oh, lift it? Hey,
12: Come on, Pomeroy! guys. Get your hands off. All right. I found it at that Vivian Barr's joint. It was on the floor and it sparkled like dough. She was dead, so I figured it might as Thanks, well.
1: Thanks, Pomeroy. You told me all I want to know. Don't wait up. <clears throat> Outside, I piled into my car and drove fast for the beach house at 31 Bayfront Drive, hoping hard all the way that either I was making a fat mistake or if I was right, I was going to be on time. All told, it was about 40 minutes later when I screeched to a stop in front of the place and found it lights out and deserted. I was ready to start cheering until from the closed garage that was tucked under a wing of the house, I heard it. A car motor running as in suicide by carbon monoxide. The big double doors were locked, but around on the side, there was a window. In another minute, I was in and over to Fred Sears. He was slumped over the front wheel. His face, the color of wet ashes. I cut the motor, then dragged him out of the place by a back door that led to a patio. There, I stretched him out on the ground and took a good look. A long look that left no doubt in my mind. I turned away from him when I heard a woman's footsteps on the walk outside near the window I'd broken. It was Mona Paxton. Marlo!
13: Marlowe, what is it? Marlo, are you all right?
1: Yeah, but don't come back here, Mona. It's not a very pretty sight. It's Sears. Sears? Yeah, I dragged him out here. He left the motor running carbon monoxide.
13: Oh, oh no. What a, what a terrible way
1: to go. No worse than Vivian Barr. How'd you turn up here, Mona? Follow me?
13: Yes. As I was worried about that man in your apartment, I wanted to ask you who he was.
1: When I took off coattail flying, it looked like something important, huh? Yes,
13: it certainly did. And it certainly was.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd better get through to the police now. There must be a phone inside. You go wait at my car, huh? Mm-hmm. Quit shaking. After this, you haven't got a thing to worry about. Uh, business, I mean.
13: Yes, I know, but I... Just... Can't start smiling.
8: I'll be at the car, Marlowe.
3: I'm a saddle and Matthews
1: speaking. Marlowe Matthews. i out in Santa Monica, 31 Bayfront Drive. I've got Vivian Barr's killer. Fred Sears, great. Just hold it, Phil Mooney. Wait a minute, Matthews. Matthews. Hey, Matthews. Nice work. I'm glad I. Now will let you wait know. a minute, Matthews. It doesn't play that way. What? What do you mean, Phil? Not Sears? No. It's a woman, Mona Paxton, sister to Douglas Paxton, a guy married and playing around with Vivian Barr. Mona killed Vivian because Vivian was blackmailing her brother, and that in turn was about to ruin a business deal that meant a lot to her, an awful lot.
8: Yeah, it
3: must
1: have. Yeah. What about Sears? Does he still tie in? Sure he does. She found out where Sears was hiding, which is out here at the same time I did. But she got a head start on me at the point of a gun, set him up at a closed garage in what was supposed to be suicide. Oh, he's dead, huh? No, he's fine. I was lucky enough to get here in time. He's resting out on the patio, breathing well. See you, Matthews.
13: Everything's taken care of, Marlow.
1: Mm-hmm. Just about, Mona.
13: Well,
1: the police will, uh...
13: Correction. The police are here. Yeah, yeah.
1: Doesn't take them long, does it, huh?
13: No. I've won him. Glad of it. Just as soon get all this over with. You too, I guess.
1: Yeah. Me too, Mona. I got away from it all as soon as I could, but I didn't go home. I drove out to a spot I knew nearby, a cliff edge where the only sounds were a couple of seagulls who couldn't sleep in the ocean a hundred feet below, crashing on the rocks. Then I took a second look at the little item Mud Pomeroy had picked up in Vivian Barr's apartment. A collection of tiny stones, diamonds, emeralds, rubies, all in the shape of a small mask. A mask that I knew would fit in place exactly over an empty spot on Mona Paxton's Mardi Gras brooch. The proof that Mona had been to Vivian's place. Yeah, a little mask. We all wear them one way or another. We've all got something to hide. Maybe that's what's wrong with people, huh? They all think they've got to hide from each other and from themselves. Yeah, so... I threw the little mask into the ocean and then... then I went home.
2: Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Richard Sanville and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Francis Robinson, Betty Lou Gerson, Anne Stone, Olin Soule, Jane Novello, and Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Durant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says...
1: This time, a little man with big heels tried to run over me. A giant in a warehouse nearly cost me my life. And a treacherous blonde almost buried me at sea. All that for a client who couldn't pay me a cent. Eh, but on whose behalf, they were paid in full. This is Roy Rowan speaking
2: for CBS, where you enjoy the contented hour every Sunday night, at the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: And that's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe starring Gerald Moore in The Fifth Mask as originally broadcast September 8th, 1950. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 14 of the Classic Radio Theater after this break. Next time on episode 14 of the Classic Radio Theater brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two mystery episodes of The Whistler, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening.